our practice, and I just said, we can learn this. If we can memorize Leonard Skinner, and we can sing all them old secular songs, we can sing this one just like we do in the car. And we just practiced and practiced and practiced, and I led it, believe it or not. And I was just thinking, we have come a long ways, Diane, because if y'all didn't like that one, boy, you really wouldn't have liked it when I led it. But man, that song is so special to me. And God, if there's one thing I can tell you this morning, it's Jesus saves. Amen? That song we just sang, that last one, at the sight of Jesus, the darkness trembles. At the voice of Jesus, the the waves are still. At the name of Jesus, the demons flee. And friends, I'm telling you, because of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, there's not a sinner that can't be saved by the power that is in Jesus Christ. That's worthy celebrating for us today, if nothing else. Amen? But this morning, I want us to look at something, the righteousness of God. We probably would have a lot of different answers if we thought what that was. Basically, to me, if you got the righteousness of God, you're right with God. Amen? You and God, he looks at you, and you're right. We all know, most of us, that that's not capable and possible on our own. But I want to read something here from the Apostle Paul, and we're going to look at that about the righteousness of God and how do we get it? Where does it come from? Well, it comes from Jesus. You know that already. But let us look at this right quick. Starting in verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, we're going to read it and then we're going to pray. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Some translation says new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All things, now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, here it is again, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There's that verse right up there. The righteousness of God, if you have it, can only come through Jesus. There's no other place that you can be righteous before Holy Father. It's so serious that God the Father, it says in that verse, for he the Father made him the Son, the the perfect, sinless, without blemish, Lamb of God, his Son, to no sin, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteous of God in him. Guys, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die a physical death. He just didn't endure a physical punishment. All of the sins of the world were placed on him on the cross. And all of the just and the anger and the wrath of holy God was poured out on his son who knew no sin, He took our sin. That's why Jesus was so, when he was in the garden, he said, Father, if there's any other way that this cup, this cup may pass, but if not so, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus knew what was going to happen to him on the cross, that it was more than just a crucifixion, that he was going to endure 
the wrath and the just anger of God against the trespasses of the whole world. And God did that so that we might be righteous. I want you to look at it with me here. Why is righteousness so important? Because the condition that we are is unacceptable to have communion, fellowship, and be in the presence of God. None of us can go to heaven in the condition we are when we're born. We're born into sin. The sin of Adam has been imputed in us. When we grow up, we don't have to be taught to sin. We have to be taught not how to sin. Because we don't sin. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And I want you to look at this with me. A new creation in Christ. That's what has to happen. And so the Bible, Paul says right there, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's a new creature. He ain't the same way before he come to Christ. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. How many of you here can testify that when Jesus came in, something changed? The world didn't change. Man, I thought everything was going to be different at church. Everything was going to be Man, church was the same church. <laughs> But boy, it changed me, amen? And that's what Jesus does. He makes us a new creature. In Jesus, we become new creations. How does that happen? Through the work of Calvary. Look at this. Christ is central to our salvation. When you read these next verses, look what God did. What does it mean to, to, to be saved? To be saved means that we are now reconciled to God, that we have a relationship, that we're in right communion, we're in fellowship with God again, that sin no longer separates us, that now we've been reconciled. Look what it says. When you become a new creature in Christ, now all things are of God. Have you noticed that? You can't get away from God. You can try. You can try to forget. You can mess up now. You can make bad decisions, and you can make choices and go down wrong roads, but everywhere you go, God's there because he loves you. He doesn't save you and forget about you. The journey doesn't end the day you get saved and get baptized. The journey begins if you got saved and become a new creation. The journey of Christ and the faith walk with him. And Jesus comes in. And now all things were of God. Why is that? Because you've been reconciled. Look what it says. Now all things were of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus. There's no other way to be reconciled with God today but through Jesus. That's through the cross. Your sins have to be dealt with in a way that holy God accepts it, that your sins have been paid. You see, we don't get to go to heaven because God loves us. We get to go to heaven because Jesus died for us on a cross and shed his blood and took our punishment. Now, he did that for us because God loves us, but without the cross, no one's going just because God loves us, because God is holy and God is just. I want you to look at the next verse. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Man, it's unbelievable. But God could and would reconcile the whole world if they'd only trust Jesus. That's how powerful the cross is. It can take the whole sin. You see, the whole sins of the whole world has already been judged on the cross. And that's where God's righteousness comes from. What does he do? When Jesus went on the cross, he says, not imputing their trespasses to them. God didn't impute 
our trespasses to them. It says that when Jesus, God, was in Christ, reconciled the world, not imputing their trespasses, what did he do? He took him who knew no sin, and he put our sin on Jesus, and he reckoned it onto him, and Jesus took our sin. But you know what else Jesus did? He took our sin, but God took Jesus' righteousness and imputed it back onto us. That's the only place you'll ever find righteousness that appeases and satisfies a holy God. It's through the righteousness that he supplied through the cross of Calvary when his son, the sinless Lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world, shed his blood and gave his life and said, unto thee I give my spirit. And then he said those great words, it is finished, amen. It was accomplished. Now, the next verse, if you was to look, says, on behalf of Christ, let us be reconciled. Look at this. Three verses in a row says, therefore, if we in Christ, we are new creatures. Old things have passed. All things have become new. You know what makes it such a life-changing experience that it's like you become a new creature? Life, if you knew it in the past, is old. It's gone. And now life is new and everything you do because everything's of God, you reconcile. Now, I want to ask you something. How can you be someone who's walked in the world unreconciled to God? That means you're in enmity with God. You're against God, that you are separated from God. Your sin is what God sees when he looks at you. And then once you come to Jesus and the blood of Christ cleanses you and your sins are imputed onto him, he takes your sins, he dies for them, God takes them and puts them on Jesus. Then he puts Jesus' righteousness back on you and we become the righteousness of God in him. That's what that verse says. Now when Jesus sees us, he doesn't see my sin. He sees what Jesus did for me. He sees Christ in his righteousness. My sin was buried with Jesus, my friend. But when he came up, I didn't come up a sinner. I came up saved. And you are the same. Now I want you to think about this. He reconciled us. God was in Christ reconciling the world. On Christ's behalf... He wants us all to be reconciled. Now, I want you to think about this with me. Reconciliation required righteousness. You can't be reconciled to a holy, sinless God who's perfectly righteous, no matter how much he loves you, without righteousness. No righteousness means no reconciliation. And no reconciliation means no salvation. Because what salvation first and foremost does is it rightly connects us to God. Our sins are dealt with and our righteousness or our lack of righteousness is taken care of. And God positionally places us as if we've never sinned in the righteousness of Christ. Now I'm getting to the part I want to preach about. See, a lot of us think that you can acquire righteousness. But our righteousness outside of God that is not on the foundation of Jesus and through him, the Bible says, but we are all like an unclean thing and all of our, I want you to notice this, most people when they quote this say all of our righteousness. That ain't what it says if you got a good old King James or a new King James. It says all of our righteousnesses. It sounds like Brother Marvin's English, doesn't it? It's like a, a new English word or something. Righteousnesses. If you got an NIV, it says all of our acts of righteousness. 
Or it says all of our righteous deeds in one translation. See, that's what he's talking about. Our righteous deeds outside of Christ are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Why is this? Because we're tainted. We're corrupted. We've already sinned. Our righteousness is no good because we're already got sin. If we could quit today and never sin again, just because of the sins we've already committed would always make our righteousness like a filthy rag. Look how Paul says it in Romans. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, by the deeds of our righteous acts, by the deeds of our trying to do good, no flesh will be justified in his sight. You can't be good enough. You can't try hard enough. You can't quit enough and start enough good things in your life to get right with God without Jesus. And I don't know if you've tried it lately. Religion don't do nothing but aggravate you. It frustrates you. But when you get a hold of Jesus and you let Jesus get a hold of you, all of a sudden he makes you righteous. Then he goes to work in your life because you're reconciled and he's in your life and he's in you and he walks with you. And yes, you walk with him, he changes you. He makes you righteous. If you're focused all day on being righteous, I got to quit this, I got to do this, I got to quit that, I got to try harder, you'll never find righteousness. But if you'll focus every day on getting up saying, good morning, Jesus, I didn't do good yesterday, but Lord, I plan on doing better today. Would you help me? Would you forgive me for that mess up? And Lord, today, I want to walk with you. I want to be better than I was yesterday. Lord, I'm trusting in you. Have a little prayer time. Have a little talk with Jesus. Amen. Boy, it'll do wonders to you. And then let Jesus take the word of God and say, Lord, I'm having trouble with this part of my walk with you. Lord, I've looked in the word and found you've got a lot to say about this sinful habit that's in my life. I don't want it in my life. But Lord, I can't get rid of it. Church couldn't do it. The preacher couldn't do it. Mom and daddy couldn't do it. But Lord, I believe Jesus could do it. And Lord, today I'm asking you to pour out some grace in my life. I'm asking you to come into my life, Jesus. I want to walk righteous before you you see jesus not only can provide for you positional righteousness justification jesus can provide for you practical righteousness sanctification not only can he reconcile you he can restore you and that's what he begins to do when you're reconciled and you're rightly related to jesus See, the righteousness of God, this is one of the most important verses in the whole gospel. The righteousness of God only comes through the cross. The cross takes away your sin and imputes it and puts it on Jesus. Jesus receives it, takes the punishment for it, pays the price for it. And then God, I don't know why, but ain't God a good God, takes Jesus' perfect righteousness and puts it on us. And he looks at us as if we've never sinned based on what Jesus done for us. Hallelujah. That ought to make a Baptist say amen. And friends, I don't know about you, a safe Baptist that is. But guys, listen to this. The righteousness of Christ comes by being imputed to us. We don't earn it. We can't get it. It's all by faith through grace. I want you to look at what it done. The righteousness of Christ that you got when you trusted in Jesus for your salvation. 
and you believed in the cross. You see, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Why? Because it ain't just something you believed, made a commitment, got your name on the membership roll, got dunked, and nothing happened. Man, if you came to the cross, and the cross did what I'm talking about, took all your sin and put it on Jesus, and then Jesus received it because you trusted him by faith, and then Jesus said, he believes in me. He's willing to trust me. He's willing to repent, and then Jesus took all his righteousness and put it on you. Oh, my friend, can I get an amen? You're going to know what imputation means. He's going to impute. He's going to give you positional righteousness that's going to equal justification that's going to bring reconciliation. The perfect place... And the perfect people to get understanding from is in Romans 10. If there's ever been some religious folks, it was Israel. Amen? Romans 10 is the first passage. I preached this on my first sermon that I ever preached at Solid Rock Baptist Church. And the amazing thing is, this month is 25 years ago that I did that. No, next year will be 25. It's 24. I've been saved 25. But I want you to look at what Paul says about the Jews, Israel. Romans chapter 10, Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. If there's ever been a group of people that should have been saved, it was the Jews, the chosen people, the Old Testament covenant people. They had all the benefits of the, the sacrifice, the temple, the priesthood, the, the covenant promises, the law, and the words of God and the prophets and all that God poured into them. And one of the greatest promise of all was the coming of Messiah, God's son. But when Jesus came, they didn't see it because they was convinced that they had their own righteousness and they were righteous in their religion. And look what happened to them. Paul says right there, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. He said, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. They got a passion. They're, they're excited. They, they come to worship. They go to church. They do a lot of religious things. And boy, did they. He says, but it's not according to knowledge. Do you see it? He said, what they're doing, though, ain't making them righteous. And look at what he says. Verse 3, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. See, they wouldn't submit to Jesus. They didn't think they needed him to save them. They thought they could save themselves by going to the temple, giving a sacrifice. We got Baptists like that. Don't think we don't. Well, I tithe, I give, I'll support the preacher. I read my Bible every day. I've read it through three times. You know, you can read the Bible three times, and if you've never been to Calvary, go to hell. Friends, it ain't all knowledge. It's knowing where your righteousness comes from. They were ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to the rights of God. I'm here to tell you, sinner friend, you won't find righteousness in your ability, in your religion, in any church, any denomination, every other religion on the earth is based on what we can do for God to appease Him and earn salvation except Christianity. It's the only one that you're saved by what God has done for you. And you don't earn it, you just receive it as a gift from God by faith. 
That's why I know it has to be God. This side of Calvary, though, I can see it. It was God because it changed me. How about you, man? Man, it's unbelievable. But I want to talk to us about, it's one thing to know that I have positional righteousness, that it was given to me as a gift of grace, all by faith. Everything about it come from Jesus, through Jesus, because of Jesus, and I'm justified now. Not guilty as if I never sinned and I'm reconciled with God, but God don't leave you that way. Have you figured that out? He gives you practical, he gives you positional righteousness so that now in that relationship, because you've been reconciled, now he can change us and begin to give us practical righteousness. Does everybody know what the word in part means? I'm like Brother Dennis. I've been reading the dictionary more often. It'll make an old country boy. It can make, I figure if it can make a cowboy smarter, it'll make a redneck smarter. Amen. So I figured if Brother Dennis was getting benefit, I'm going to try it. But to impart something, to impart something, it means that you, put, you get something that you don't know. And you know, as I was looking and looking at Bible dictionaries, I found that the, the best place to understand it is from the Bible. A biblical example is better than any secular or other illustration I could ever give you. But I want you to think about this. If you come to Jesus today and you're lost, and he takes all of your sins that you've committed and ever will commit and imputes them onto Jesus, and Jesus paid the price, and those sins are judged and done, and they are scattered as far as the east is to the west, as if they've never happened, and then he gives you positional righteousness do you think he wants to leave you to just keep sinning and doing anything you want that's the big thing against baptist once saved always saved it we're abusers of grace friend i ain't an abuser of grace i'm telling you what it ain't once saved it's if saved and if you get saved you'll know you saved because he won't leave you how he found you he'll go to work in your life my friend and he will change you or he'll make you wish you changed, but he'll do it in love. He's the most patient, the most kind, but he's the most faithful, relentless God you'll ever meet. He will accomplish what he started. Paul said it this way. He said, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. But he also said, so work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, because it's God who works in you for his will and his good pleasure. You see, God's more concerned about your holiness than your happiness this morning. He's more concerned about you becoming like Jesus than you becoming the person you want to be. And friends, that's where we get to see how he imparts Christianity into our life. He gives you not only positional, but you have practical righteousness today. It's called sanctification. You're growing in sanctification every day. God desires that we all be sanctified, that we all be set apart. And as you grow in sanctification, he's restoring you. He's making you into who you were created and saved to be. What the devil took, we're getting it back. Can I get an amen? And he's putting his life back into us. He's given us the very character of Christ through the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness, self-control. Ain't them some good things to have in your life? Well, that comes from God. And what he's doing is he imparts that into us. Who is he imparting into us with? Jesus. Listen to these verses. I didn't have time to put them on here because it would have took too much. But just listen to this. 
Paul said in Romans 1 verse 11 to the Roman church, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. I want you to think about this. Paul said, I long to go to Rome, to the church that's there, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. I don't know what it was. I believe it was something that Paul would be able to, by his influence and his impact and by his life, impart into somebody else. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, he says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only let what is good and necessary for edification, that what you speak may impart grace to the hearers. Do you hear what he's saying? What you speak and how you speak it has power to impart grace into those who hear you. So we have the ability to impart. Paul had the ability. He said, I want to come to Rome so I can impart a spiritual gift into you so you can be established. 1 Thessalonians 2.8, says, So affectionately longing for you to see you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of Jesus, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. If that church in Thessalonica was dear to Paul to the point, not only was he willing to impart the gospel into him, but his whole life, how much more would Jesus, who loved us enough to die for us, be willing to impart everything his life has to offer into us? You ever thought like that? I think crazy, don't I? See, I'm important things into people's life. I'm either making my wife happy I'm her husband or having chance of second thoughts. <laughs> because we fail. But I'm going to tell you what, Jesus, don't fail. Jesus, my friend, not only can save you and positionally place you in righteousness, but he can come into your life and impart his life into you through his spirit and by the word of God, and he can give you righteousness. That is real everyday life change. Because anybody hear what I'm talking about? It's more than going to church on Sunday and getting by all week and really don't looking like anybody else and feeling bad every night because you're not changing and you're not different than anybody else except that you go to church. And coming back on Sunday and hoping the preacher pumps you up, hoping the preacher strokes you, encourages you. Friends, I want to tell you something. When Jesus is your life, when he's the one who's imparted into you, I don't have to impart into you, although that's my job. I hope that when you come here, that what I'm saying, that imparts life into you. I hope it imparts faith into you. It imparts all the things Jesus wants you to have. But I'm going to tell you what, mine is very limited. But Jesus is unlimited in what he can impart into your life. Man, I don't know about y'all, but you know what I found out, brothers and sisters? The devil tricks us. He wants to get us into sin. He can't take away our sin. He can't mess up our positional righteousness. We're justified in Jesus. What Jesus did, he whooped the devil with a big stick, they said, the cross, and it's done. We're saved. We're justified. We're positionally righteous in Christ. But he can ruin your life. He can torment you. He can rob you of the joy of being saved. He can take away your peace beyond understanding. He can rob you of all the benefits of being reconciled, reconciled and in communion with God through Jesus. So he gets you sinning. And then once he gets you doing it, 
He gets you where you're not thinking about Jesus, you're thinking about that sin. And when you first allow sin into your life, you do it because don't act righteous, you do it because you liked it. You do it because you knew it was going to have a benefit, and it does for a little while, very little. And you did it, and you said, oh, and so sin at first, it has your thinking that I want to do it. Then you do it, and you say, well, I got away with it. I think I'm going to do it again. I think I'm going to do it again. Before long, you understand that God's in you, that all things are different now. Everything's of God. You're a new creature. Old things passed away. All things have become new. It has happened. You're not the same. So what you used to do and where you used to go, don't do what it used to do. And it don't feel the same when you get there because you ain't the same. You're a new creature. Jesus bought you. You're a possession. You're his. He redeemed you. You're no longer a slave to that mess. You're a child of the king. So you think he just leaves you there? What am I going to do with him? That hard-headed Jonathan. I can't make him quit doing that. No. He lets you get all of that sin. That's what he's done in me. Till I don't want it no more. Because I ain't found a sin yet that continues to bless me as much as God. I ain't found a sin yet that gives me what Jesus gives me when I'm right with him. I ain't found a sin yet that can outdo Christ. Can I get an amen? There's nothing like being reconciled right with God and walking in a relationship where he's with you and his peace is with you, his joy is in you. And friends, the world's going to hell with COVID, but I'm okay, amen? Friends, that comes to the person who believes in the power of Jesus. The righteousness of God is available to you. Don't you listen to the devil. All you got to do is say, Lord, I'm sorry, I repent. Lord, I, I need you. The Bible says that if we, are, if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Now, he's able when I say, Lord, I messed up. My practical righteousness ain't what it was because I got in this habit, and now this habit's got me, and I can't get loose. I'm trying to quit it, but I can't quit. You know what? You can't quit. That's why you better not start it. But, Lord, if you'll help me, I'm, I'm asking you to forgive me, to cleanse me. I want you again. I want this out of my life. Jesus will cleanse you today. He'll forgive you. If you're not saved, he'll save you today. But friends, he doesn't only just forgive you. He cleanses you of all your unrighteousness. Why is that? So that you can be reconciled again and be in a relationship. You know what I find? When I'm reconciled with Jesus, I'm not focusing on righteousness. I'm focusing on him. And as I'm focused on him and I get up in the morning, good morning, Jesus. Let's, I'm drinking my coffee. I'm in the word. Jesus, oh, Lord, look what you done showed me. Oh, I know you had to show me that because I wouldn't have looked at that. But, Lord, you're right. I need to deal with that. And so I begin to talk to him, Lord, you showed me that. You know, that's why a lot of us don't like the word of God. It ain't that you can't understand it, it's that you can't understand it. <laughs> and you don't like what God tells you. You see, the Bible says, not the Bible didn't say, but some preacher said, and I can't remember which one it was, but one of them good old preachers, he said that your sin will either keep you from that book or that holy book will keep you from your sin. And so when you're in sin, you don't want the Bible. Because that's Jesus' chief means of communicating in your life so that he can produce practical righteousness in you now that he saved you. And he takes his spirit and he gives you the strength. He gives you the understanding. And if you'll just focus on him and follow him, he will change your 
He's been doing it for 2,000 and some years, and he'll be doing it till the roll is called up yonder for those he saves. See, if you're not being changed, it ain't his fault. It's something you're not doing right. So today I want to ask you, do you even think about being right with God? Because I'm here today to tell you, if America wants to see revival, spiritual awakening, if we want to truly see the favor of God on our land again, and God pour his blessings on us like we know he can and has done, there's some folks got to get right with God. It ain't enough just to be positionally, oh, I'm going to heaven. The question today I'm asking you, Mr. and Mrs. Baptist, is the life of Christ alive and well in you? Are you walking in practical righteousness by what Christ has done for you? I've said what I need to say. Now I just want to one more time emphasize about being saved. You can be Baptist. You can be the best church member. You can give. You can be there every time the door opens. But none of that will make you righteous without Jesus. But with Jesus, you can be the town drunk. You can be a junkie. You can hurt your wife so bad she leaves you and says, I love you, but I can't live with you no more. And you can find yourself by yourself with everything that you thought mattered in this world taken from you with nothing left and wonder if your life's even first worth living. And you can try to make deals and try to fix things. And you can go to church and say, I went to church the first six months to get her back. Well, if I can get her back, I'll go to church. I got her back. God let us get remarried. She moved in. She was a new creature. I wasn't. Religion didn't make me better. Religion without Jesus made it worse. I One Sunday I said, Lord, if you will fix me, if you will make my marriage like it used to be, I won't get drunk no more. I won't get high no more. I'll quit the things that hurts her. Because you know what? I was still doing it, and I knew it was hurting her, but she was loving me. She was accepting me. She was a new creature. She used to cuss me out. I said one day, Lord, would you just let her cuss me out like she used to? I'd feel better. I'd come in putting Visine in my eyes, chewing gum half drunk, stoned, sit down, you know what she'd do? Can I bring you a Coke? I got supper ready. Before, where you been? What you doing? I'd go do it more. Justification, my sin. But now she loved me. That's how God does this. He loves you in your sin, but not to leave you that way. I went to church one Sunday, and I went to the aisle. This tells you I didn't know what I'm talking about here today. And I knelt at the aisle in Lindsay Lane Baptist Church, and I met it with all my heart, and I said, God, if you will fix my marriage, if you will help me not to hurt her no more, I will quit drinking. And I meant it with every fiber of me. Before the next Sunday, guess what happened? Went over to a horse barn with a bunch of my buddies. Not only did I get drunk, I got high, I come home. I felt so, so defeated. I felt so trapped. I was 33 years old. I'd been smoking dope every chance I could get it, buy a bag every paycheck since I was 15. Getting drunk every Friday, my wife told me when she left me, I, can count, I can't count on one hand five weekends in eight years of marriage you haven't gotten drunk. I said, you're crazy. I didn't argue that one. But all I can tell you is what happened to me. After failing Jesus for the, so many times, but for the first time trying with all of my strength to not mess up. Have you really tried yet with all your strength not to sin? You can't. But I came home at the end of myself 
in a little cabin that we lived at on Short School Road. Y'all probably some of you get tired of hearing it, but I never get tired of telling it. And I nailed down in a couch cushion a captive of alcohol, pot, a bad husband that was hurting the woman that he loved more than anybody else. But I knelt down and I said, Lord, I'm through. I believe that man's preaching that you love me, that you said the gospel can save me and you'll change me. I don't remember what I prayed, but I said, Lord, here I am. Whatever's left of me, just take it. And I got up and I ain't been that way no more. I've been what I am now. I ain't perfect. But I'm going to tell you, God will save you. Don't let the devil rob you. Today, we're fixing to have an invitation not to join a church, not to come up here for the preacher, to come to Jesus, to be saved so that you can be reconciled. If you mean business, it's I can't save you, this church can't save you, but the cross has already saved you if you only trust it. And if you right now will say, Lord, I'm a sinner, I believe you died so that you could take my sins and put them on you on the cross and that you paid the debt, that I owe to holy God because I've trespassed. And Lord, not only are you going to take my sins, but you're willing to impute and give me your righteousness. And because you rose from the dead and you've been resurrected, you're alive. And today you will help me. You will come into my life and you will change me. That's the gospel. That's the whole message. Today I'm asking you, my sinner friend, Wherever you are, if you'll just come and sit right there, I ain't going to ask you to do nothing else. If you mean business with Calvary, before you get to this chair, you're going to be saved. We're just going to share it with everybody else and celebrate together. But if you want to be saved today, I'm going to ask you to step out. Come here and just sit on this front pew. Ain't nobody else here. We saved it just for you. Nobody sits there, not even staff. Only people that mean business with Jesus sit on the first pew in the Baptist church. So I'm inviting you to do that today. Come and be saved. For those of you who are saved, but you ain't right with God. If Jesus came back right now, you're hell bound, friends. The next breath, if you die tonight, will be in hell. I'm asking you to come today and be saved by the grace of God. And I ain't ashamed to tell you to walk aisle, because if he was willing to walk a hill called Calvary, if you want eternal life, you ought not be ashamed to walk an aisle and say, Jesus, you are my Savior. Will you come now and be my Lord? So we're going to stand. I'm going to pray. They're going to play a song. This is your time. This is your invitation if you need Jesus. Here's an altar where he will impart things into you. He may not impart in that pew. But guys, even coming to an altar won't change you unless you make do business with Jesus. Today, Jesus is here. He's willing to save sinners. He's willing to help folks. Are we willing to come? I'm going to pray and they're going to sing. Father, I've just prayed. That the words I said somehow will go find fertile soil in a heart that's ready. That's ready to receive the truth and be saved. Lord, there's different conditions and different people here. But Lord, I believe there's somebody here ready today that this is their day. Their day of salvation and they're going to come. And I'm trusting you're doing your part, I know. So Lord, help them. I bind the devil. I take away every lie that you're going to tell them to wait. And I pray for freedom, liberty in Christ to walk an aisle, sit in the front pew and receive salvation through Christ. And Lord, for the rest of my church family, I love them. But Lord, I know I'm not always where I need to be. Help us to do business with you today and get things right with you. Lord, we need your righteousness. Would you give it today in Jesus' name? 
Amen. If you need to come, come now. He's here.